Want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Today we've got a special guest on the podcast, a particularly inspiring individual, and it's going to be a great conversation, but more on that in a moment. First, I'm joined, as always, by Philip Levinson, CEO, CEO mentor, and author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. Lev, g'day. G'day, Michael. Lovely to be here. Anyone who has read your book, Three Peaks Leadership, or has even listened to a few episodes of this podcast will have noticed there's a bit of a, of a naval theme running through a lot of it. Before we introduce our guest, can you just remind me again of your naval service and, and why it's so important to you and how it's informed your understanding of leadership? Well, thank you. So in 1999, I was privileged to be accepted into the Royal Australian Naval Reserve. And over the last 22 years, I've had the most extraordinary experiences as part of that role. I've done things that I would never imagine doing. And importantly, I've met and been inspired by numerous individuals from leading seamen all the way through to admirals, which is why I'm so thrilled to be here today um, interviewing our next guest. So our our guest today is a a very special guest indeed, Rear Admiral Lee Goddard. Rear Admiral Goddard joined the Royal Australian Navy in 1987 and has had an extremely distinguished career. He was most recently the commander of the Maritime Border Command. Uh, He's still serving with the Navy Reserve but has now joined the Mindaroo Foundation in a leadership role at their Fire and Flood Resilience Initiative. Rear Admiral Lee Goddard, Welcome to Three Peaks Leadership. Thank you for letting me join you this morning. Looking forward to, uh, to, to having a good chat. Well, so thanks, Lee. We, um, we served together when you were commanding officer of HMAS Parramatta uh, in the South China Sea, which was a very interesting assignment. And I also had the privilege of serving with you on board HMAS Perth during the International Fleet Review, uh, where we were, I mean, just fortunate to be the ship tasked at the, to the rescue of uh, a French yacht, which um, was described in the media as a typical air-sea rescue and was described by you when you briefed the crew afterwards as anything but a typical air-sea rescue. In those times, and serving with you on operations, I've watched you in a variety of roles and I've watched you under a number of very stressful situations. And I've always been impressed with your equanimity. It's something that I have tried to take with me into my into my business career. How would you define that ability to distance yourself from the noise that's going on and actually be the person in command and the, and have the people who you are in command of looking up to you and knowing that there's there's a safe pair of hands. First of all, how I've enjoyed serving with you in particular those um uh, those periods on board HMAS Parramatta at sea, as you mentioned, in, in Southeast Asia and on those deployments. And then, of course, HMAS um, Perth a few years ago during the uh, fleet review. And I, I remember that rescue uh, very well. I've been involved in a few, uh, I guess, significant search and rescues over the years. And that was, you know, that was pretty close. That was, um, you know, we only just got to those uh, French nationals and um, and the, the pilot in particular, uh, the young leading seaman who was on the end of the uh, winch uh, I think he needed a good whiskey when he got to my uh, my cabin as captain when he described the uh, situation. Incredible uh, tenacity, courage, 
and really service. You know, that was really demonstrated during that operation and great timing just for the fleet review. That's what we do. One, one day we can be diplomatic and showing the flag during a, an international fleet review. The next day we can be uh, uh, exercising high in war fighting and the next day either be constabulary operations or actually serving others by conducting rescues at sea. And that's the diversity of what we do in the Australian Defence Force and the Navy, and I guess not just us, but all navies around the world. So a real privilege to have done that, a real privilege, uh, Phil, to have served with you in some of those uh, operations at sea and also at, at ashore. Look, in terms of uh, dealing um, with those uh, situations and I guess remaining calm and and in control where perhaps others uh, aren't, and, of course, while the adrenaline is starting to really uh, race and, um, and, uh, and the decision cycle starts to speed up. It comes from, I guess, practice, from experience, from, from study, from learning, and just really understanding the people around you and what really drives them and, and, and uh, how they will behave, including yourself in those situations and, and, and testing yourself for those situations as well. During the most difficult and challenging times when I've been at sea, it's quite remarkable. You know things aren't going well because those who normally talk a lot shut up. Those who normally don't say much start talking. You realise the behaviour and dynamics. So you have to be the one person that maintains your same demeanour, your same level of professionalism, focus and leadership throughout. But I've recently been asked about how I behave differently under pressure and under stress. I don't think I behave anything differently. In fact, what I try to do is actually slow down the process. You often have more time than you think to make good decisions. You know, um, that says sometimes there is an urgency, but how you actually slow down the process. I think I've um, perhaps told you the story before, Phil. When I first joined um, my first warship in 1990, HMAS Perth, I remember things weren't going well on the bridge in the Malacca Strait. There were ships everywhere. And the situation was deteriorating very quickly. And the junior officer of the watch, which I was about to be, called the captain. It was then uh, Captain Chris at the bottom of the bridge. And I remember the bridge just parted uh, as this uh, experienced, uh, esteemed man came to the bridge. He calmly went to the window, looked through his binoculars, said a few things and just set the tone. Things all of a sudden, we went back to the order. Even though the situation was more stressful, and I always remember that, the reality is uh, about 20 years later on HMAS Parramatta, I think just before you had joined, I had a similar situation, came to the bridge, the bridge parted. I went to the window, looked through the binoculars, everyone looked at the back of my head and I, everyone was thinking, wow, this esteemed, experienced captain. I was actually going, what do I do now? But it didn't matter <laughs> because what I actually had done had set the tone. But, you know, I'm in control, we are in control and we are going to do things as we expect when these situations evolve um, and they're just a continuation for what we've trained for if if i may let's go back to that training because um it's it's the take control it's the it's the you're in charge and it's the portrayal that everything's going well when even as you as you said they might not be in in your mind and i've watched you on the bridge and i think that's a very true observation. So you start your naval career, you started your naval careers from what we've discussed previously as out of a desire to serve and also out of a, and a desire for, for adventure. How do you work towards that leadership role? Yeah, look, I think my sense of purpose has always been service and balanced against adventure. And I think there's no better career 
than the Australian Defence Force in Australia to actually pursue that. And in fact, my decision recently to reorientate is a continuation of service and adventure, but I'm doing that through the Mindaroo Foundation while remaining uh, an active uh, reservist. I think you really uh, need to really understand your, your purpose and then, uh, you know, and then your value set and how you, you're going to behave. And then your, uh, your leadership style, your management style, your mentorship style, the way you follow, the way you set the example will then, you know, will, will always, you know, be orientated around those, uh, those anchors. Um, you know, and leadership is about example. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I, I've told a story, I think, through your book as well, Lev, that, you know, um, being in the mess deck with the Australian uh, sailors in 1990 was a terrific experience. There's some stories I can't tell, obviously, you know, especially after late nights and running ashore with, you know, people from different backgrounds from mine, you know, really hardened young men. You know, now it would be young men and women, all men back then, but literally the day uh, before I was about to become a sub-lieutenant and leave that mess deck and become an officer, being told by a leading seaman that, you know, uh, we expect you to lead. And if you don't lead us, that's when we're going to have a go at you. Sure, you're going to be an officer and it's the Australian way. You know, we've always had a go at authority in that very larrikin kind of way. But my goodness, if you don't lead us, if you aren't the example, if you don't behave like an officer, that's when we'll really have a coach. And I think all the way through that's that's has been in the forefront of my mind. How are others perceiving me as a leader, as an example right now? My natural style is to be inclusive mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, to really value people. But you need to be um, uncompromising at, at times as well as a leader too. People expect that. Yes. No, and that's really important. You can't, you know, um, uh, and I'll give you one other example. On, on board a warship, we do inspections of the decks every single day. We do that because it's a tradition. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's good for, uh, for the, especially the junior officers to meet the sailors, you know, every day inspecting the mess decks. It's, you know, for hygiene and cleanliness. To be frank, there's another element. It's actually for one moment each day, you know who's in charge, who is the leader. And there's an expectation. And I often ask sailors about mess deck rounds and they say, yeah, sure, it's a bit inconvenient and we'll have a go at it, but we actually want you to do it because we actually want to meet our leaders every single day and we want to understand and we want you to show you show us how you are leading us. So is that is that the essence of the captain's walk? Because, again, I remember you walking through and other commanding officers walking through the ship and just having chats. Yeah, look, and certainly uh, presence is, is very important. I think in sometimes I see others who do it just to be seen, and that's, you know, you've got to make the time. And in probably in those, those chats, say, as a captain of warship or, say, in your office as a CEO, you need to be walking the decks. You need to be having at least five meaningful conversations every day at all different levels and not to be seen. Yes. Because it actually is it, it, the uh, return on that investment is real. I think, you know, and, and, of course, if you do really know what fuels the people who you work with or work for or, or who work for you and you know what really uh, uh, um, generates their enthusiasm for your purpose, for your workplace, you know, the return is quite significant. Also, the other thing is uh, sometimes people won't perform well and the natural uh, all, they'll start the day badly. They could be almost insubordinate, they could be either rude or they could be not performing well. The natural... Um, response is actually immediately to correct that behaviour or go after the behaviour or go after the person. Sometimes you need to do that, but as soon as you can, you need to really step back and say, why is that person acting differently today? 
what is actually driving that different behaviour. And often if you actually recall maybe a conversation, you might be able to go back and say a couple of weeks ago we spoke about your mother being sick or, or you're struggling with this role or you haven't got the quick dynamics. I think that's really important is yeah. actually knowing your people, you know, having those deep conversations. Yeah, no, very important. One of the concepts that you raised uh, in previous conversations, which I really want to expand on, if I may, is is the concept of leadership as followership. Could you just talk us through that? It's interesting. A uh, number of, um, uh, I'm sure, chiefs of defence force have probably been advised by uh, secretaries of defence, my goodness, you produced some good leaders. Could you now produce some good managers? I would say... Uh, <laughs> I would say, especially in the business world, I see a lot of good leaders, but actually I think we need good followers as well. And people need to understand we can't all be leaders all the time. And when I say followership, it's actually how we be an example to those who follow us. There's an element of loyalty here as well. And there's two parts of followership. I think it's really important us as leaders. Every day we need to demonstrate to the people who we lead how we follow as well. Really important. That's a melanin of loyalty, understanding, inclusivity, accepting decisions, no last-minute hand grenades or rear attacks. All those things are really, really important as a leader and as a follower because we all follow someone. The other thing, of course, is uh, encouraging active followership. That is when you have a chance to participate or have your say that it's a safe environment to do it. But at the same time, we shouldn't be going back to the start of the conversations each time. We ended this conversation here. Let's start there again. No rear attacks, no last-minute hand grenades. This is actually what you we expect you of as a follower. You've had your chance. This is the team collective decision. I'm now the leader. Now follow me. So I think that's really important to actually um, – and I think many of your listeners and those at CEO need to ask themselves, I might be a good leader. I might be, even be a good manager. But actually, am I a good follower and am I an example as being a good follower as well? I think that's an extraordinary uh, insight because um, one of the reasons that I have enjoyed my naval service so much is the strength of the leadership cadre because I found that in the main, that group walk the talk, they do what they say they're going to do, they are balanced and they're, they're extraordinary individuals. There's a lot more, I think, to cover than we can get through in just one episode. So we might pick this up again in the next episode of Three Peaks Leadership. Make sure you've ordered your copy of the book, Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. You can get it basically anywhere that you would order a book online, Booktopia, Dimmicks, Amazon, you name it, you can buy it there. And don't forget, of course, to subscribe or follow the podcast to make sure that the next episode of Three Peaks Leadership lands in your playlist automatically every Sunday. I'm Michael. Thompson and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Thank you. Thank you.